blue wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Hey, what's up? And welcome into episode 182 of Press Pass. Kayla Anderson here with my co-host Joshua Perry, the the very talented and ever so busy Joshua Perry. How was the week, my friend? And it's it's been a really crazy week for college football in general, right? Yeah, it's been a um, a wild week. I was in Indianapolis over the weekend for the Big Ten championship game. Um, congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines on locking that one up and securing their spot in the college football playoff. Um, a lot of chaos elsewhere that I'm sure we're going to get into, but uh, college football is uh, constant content, so it keeps peeps like me and you happy. It really does, and and we have slow times of the year, which we're actually very thankful for because the whole season has been kind of crazy, and now I feel like things have just heated up with the playoffs happening. You know, there's a lot of transfer portal information that we're going to bring your way here in a minute. So it, it's definitely a fun time of the year and college football is just, it's kind of crazy right now. I think it's uncharted territory. And so um, this is going to be fun just to see how the next month unfolds. But I want to start Joshua by kind of diving into the final four. So the college football playoff committee clearly making a decision this week who will be in that playoff. So you have Georgia at number one, no surprise there, with Michigan right behind them at two. I think the the committee got it right for the most part by keeping TCU in, um, even though they did drop that Big 12 championship game to Kansas State. And then your Ohio State Buckeyes really getting a favor from the USC Trojans who just uh, pooped the bed in that Pac-12 championship. I can't say I'm very surprised, but the Buckeyes getting in at four, I think it's it's a really competitive field, Joshua, and I, I feel like they got it right. Yeah, we had talked about the idea that USC would lose this football game, right? I, like, I'm not shocked whatsoever. No. Um, maybe a little bit shocking was the way that Utah pulled away, but I mean, you know, USC just did not bring any defense at all. They left guys wide open. When they finally got to the guys, they decided they didn't want to tackle. Um, Caleb Williams, obviously, popping his hamstring, certainly hurt. But at the same time, like, you as an offense relied on a guy to just freelance the whole year. That's what happened. Like, you didn't have a real offense. You had an offense where you just let a guy go out there and make plays. Um, Something that Lincoln Riley, I think, needs to evaluate just in terms of structure, and identity. It's neither here nor there in this conversation. So then you get to Saturday, um, TCU loses early and it was a very close loss. And they had been on the other end of those games with close wins all year, but certainly had proved to us that they were a team that had the grit and the talent level and the resume to be one of the four teams in the college football playoff. Michigan goes out, they dominate Purdue, specifically the second half of that football game in typical fashion. And we watched Georgia where, you know, the second half, I guess their defense decided they wanted to fall asleep. Um, game wasn't necessarily particularly close, but um, I think the score was a little bit out of hand in terms of what we thought that their defense would be able to do against this LSU football team. 
And especially when LSU had to go to their second string quarterback, have that conversation later as well. So you get to Sunday and you're like, all right, Georgia cemented number one, Michigan cemented number two, USC is out. So what do they do at TCU? Where does Ohio State fit into that picture? And would Politic and Nick Saban get his Alabama Crimson Tide into the show? And the committee did the right thing. They kept TCU at number three. And as somebody who wants to see the rematch of Ohio State and Michigan, both of those teams are going to have to win their semifinal to get to that. TCU earned the right to be the number three team in the country. I don't think that you can penalize them for losing in a close game uh, that was a conference championship. That was an extra game. Ohio State got to sit at home and watch everybody else go battle over the weekend. <laughs> um, Ohio State, certainly with their resume, though, um, had a strong case to be number four after USC got their second loss. The 11 games that they played in, they won them all by a double-digit margin. They had that ugly loss, obviously, to their rival. Um, so that's something that they got to get figured out. But – I think that they picked the correct four teams, and I think that they're seated properly. One of the questions I want to lob to you, though, is if you're Georgia, you would not want to have Ohio State. Nope. Like, you, that's the team that you wanted to avoid getting into this thing because you knew Ohio State was one of the teams that could give you some real issues. Mm-hmm. TCU seems like it would be the better matchup. That's what Michigan got. Um, all of that to say, do you think that in this type of scenario, the number one team should be able to pick out of the lower two seeded teams or that the committee should go through a reseeding process because it almost feels like Georgia is getting punished in this scenario for being sure. the number one team. That's not a bad thought. And what's crazy about that is I'm kind of getting small flashbacks of the 2014 year that I covered you guys yeah championship year when you guys faced Alabama in the semis and I don't think a lot of people you know had necessarily Ohio State winning but when you looked at it it was like okay like this is not great for Alabama right now in the in the scenario that they were in and sure enough Ohio State beats Bama in New Orleans and goes on to win the national championship. And this year is interesting because Georgia has clearly shown it's the number one team and Ohio state has had some issues at times, but that does not take away from the talent that's on the field and on both sides of the ball this year, very strong, very improved from defense from last year. And I think you're always going to have those games where you wish you could have had them back. But now yep. I feel like you live and you learn from that Michigan game. And you got an Ohio State team that's angry, that's ready to come back and show that they're really the Ohio State that everybody was talking about this year. And you got a Georgia team that's been kind of just kind of floating through the season, not to take anything away from them. I'm not saying it's a Certainly. bad thing, but they haven't really been challenged. And so I think this is one of those games that, yeah, you were probably wishing you were matched up with somebody else. I think that's interesting. You brought up the point of the number one seed maybe picking its matchup because matchups are so big, especially at this time of the year in these types of situations. 
And so I think it would be kind of cool if they could actually do it because Georgia um, probably is thinking to themselves, damn. That's 100% what I think that they're thinking. Like you get the most talented team in the field, right? Yep. So that outside of Georgia, Georgia in Ohio State, the most talented teams. Then you get the team with the sense of urgency that they lost the game and yep. that they are, you know, it's a blessing that they're in there. Now they have the opportunity to avenge the loss and their goal is still in mind. Like it's a really, it's a really tough spot, I think, for Georgia. And I know Vegas isn't um, always correct, but one of the things that I do believe is unique about this is Vegas thinks that the number one versus number four game is going to be more tightly contested than the number two versus number three game. Yes. And I think that tells you just about everything that you would need to know about what these teams actually are coming in. So all that to say, I'm excited about each of these semifinals. Um, I can get into a couple of matchups I'm looking at real quick if you'd like me to, Kayla, but uh, this is going to be a fun playoff. It really is. And I, I, I wanted to ask you, with this Ohio State Georgia matchup specifically, like what do you think is probably going to be the toughest thing for Georgia to overcome that they maybe haven't faced this year in SEC play with Ohio State? Yeah, so I don't think that Georgia has seen a combination of offensive line, quarterback, and wide receiver that mm-hmm. Ohio State has to offer. And Georgia's defense is formidable. Um, They've got freaks at every level of the defense, but they are similar to Ohio State in the fact that they're very comfortable going out there and saying that they're going to play man-to-man defense and the other team, if they can beat them, then they beat them. And what happened with LSU in the second half is LSU's guys got open and their backup quarterback hit some shots. Yeah. Um, I look at the game against Tennessee and I know people kind of point to that as a comparison in Ohio State and Tennessee think they're completely differently built teams. Tennessee is a spread them all the way out team. Like if we run the ball, it's cool. Um, You know, like we're just going to throw it around the yard. We're going to hit shots. Their offensive line certainly isn't there. And defensively, they're just bad all year. Um, When I look at Ohio State, CJ Stroud has not been sacked very often. And that is a testament to what this Ohio State offensive line has done for him. And also his veteran nature back there to navigate the pocket. Ohio State finished up the the regular season second in the Big Ten in rushing yards per attempt. So this is a team that can run the football. Um, And then we know what the wide receivers are. Marvin Harrison Jr. has a legit argument of being the best wide receiver in college football right now. Oh, yeah. Um, You've got Emeka Buka, who's done a really good job. Julian Fleming's been inconsistent. I think he's got brick hands, but um, when he catches the ball, it's usually a big play. And then I think the tight end usage can stress Georgia. Um, So all of that to say that this is an offense that Georgia has not seen, and that can be a challenge. Um, Flip side of that is this is a defense that Ohio State has not seen, and they've seen good ones this year. Right. Iowa's got a good defense. They put up a lot of points on them. Uh, Penn State, I think, is a, a very good defense. Ohio State put up a lot of points on them. Michigan's the one defense that I think is really good that Ohio State struggled with. Um, but by and large, 
what we have learned is that Ohio State's offense can rise up to these occasions. And uh, I'm excited to see what Georgia has in terms of answers because Kirby Smart's a hell of a coach. Yeah, you're, you got that right. He sure is. And, and I think it's going to be – I really am intrigued about these four teams. First of all, I think it's a good mix of tradition but also, you know, newness to, to this college football playoff. And I know mm-hmm. it will only get better with um, it expanding in the future. But I think right now, um, more so than ever, I'm kind of looking forward to this one. And, and I don't know if every year I could have said that just because it has been the same old, same old teams. Um, so this should be really fun because it's a good mixture this year. So uh, really quick, before we get into the, the craziness that has been the transfer portal over the last couple of days, because my head is absolutely spinning. Okay, um, it's crazy. I, I did want to talk to you about the Heisman. Now, you talk about things getting right with the college football playoff committee. The Heisman was interesting because I don't really know if I agree with the decisions that um, they sent the four dudes to, to, to New York with. A lot of them I agree with, some of them I don't. And we have talked about it so much on the show in the past. It might as well be a quarterback award first and foremost. Let's let's just make that clear because every year it seems like it is going to be a quarterback that goes there or wins it. And second of all, you know, the Heisman represents on and off the field. And it has to be both those things combined when you look at it overall. And I just feel like this year, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily the right mix. And so you've got Caleb Williams of USC. You have got Stetson Bennett of Georgia. You've got CJ Stroud of Ohio State. And then um, what was the last one? I think. Uh, Max Duggan. Yes, TCU. thank you. Max Duggan, TCU. So four guys, not five, going to New York. Joshua, were you cool with this uh, list? No. Okay. Flat out. So let me let me dive into it. Right. So for Stetson Bennett, the case is easy. He is the quarterback of the number one team in the country. That, yes. That's that's pretty much it. Um, this is not a knock on Stetson Bennett. I love. Um, what he has been and who he has been, but like, let's not try to say that he is the most outstanding player in the country. He's on the most outstanding team right now in the country. That's about it. Um, And in his case, he ain't even the best player on his offense. Um, I would look to Brock Bowers at tight end. I would also look at Lab McConkey as the best player on that offense. So if you're not even the best player in your offense, how are you going to be on the Heisman? Okay. So start there. Number one, number two, Let's get into Max Duggan. Max Duggan, great story. Kid didn't start the season as a starting quarterback. Then he leads his team to the college football playoff. Like, I'm totally here for it. You can look at the stats. Yes, they're impressive, but are they, like, gaudy impressive? No. Is he a tough son of a gun? Yes, you give him a lot of credit for that. I would say Quentin Johnston, the wide receiver for TCU, is the best Uh player on their offense. He averaged 35 yards per reception in the big 12 championship game. Like the guy was ridiculous. So not even the best player on his offense. How is he going to be the best player in the country? All right. Then we get into the case of CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud. I think he had a tough road because he came in as a Heisman favorite. Um, 
the fact that he's been able to sustain production the way that he has for two years is impressive to me. Does that mean he's deserving of the Heisman Trophy? No. In the biggest games of the year, was he overly impressive against Notre Dame? I think he led the offense the way that needed to be led. Stats weren't crazy. Against Michigan, he threw two interceptions at the end of the game. He did have 350 yards and two touchdowns, but the two interceptions wipe all that out for me. So um, you can poke holes in that argument. And also, I'd venture to say that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player on that football oh. team, the best player on that offense. So C.J. Stroud's not even the best player on his offense. So knock him out of there. Um, then you get to Caleb Williams. And there is a very strong case that you can say that he's the best player on that offense. Some people might say Jordan Addison. But we'll roll with Caleb Williams. Was Caleb Williams statistically what he was because he was that guy? Or was he what he was because of the style of play for that offense? Let me dig into the numbers here. So out of the four guys that made it to New York City, you know who took the most snaps this year? Caleb Williams. Okay. Out of all of those guys who are going to New York City, you know who's probably playing behind the worst defense? Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. So he was going to get cracks at it. Oh, no, the defense wasn't that bad. They took the football away a ton. Aha. So you're telling me that they gave him extra possessions when they weren't letting people run through him like a hot knife through butter. Right? So to me, if we're evaluating strictly off of stats, sure, we can get there. The other thing Caleb Williams had working for him was his last two games of the regular season were against Notre Dame, nationally televised in the last game of the year where C.J. Stroud threw two interceptions that day. And then the week before that against UCLA, where he had five touchdowns and did the whole deal. But let me, let me frame it like this. He did not have a marquee win this year. He lost to Utah twice. Correct. Best win was the number, what, 17, 18 team in the country in UCLA and against Notre Dame. And the UCLA game was really close. So all of these things to me say that we might not have even picked the best players on their own teams, let alone the best players in the country. Hendon Hooker, to me, they could not do what they did this year without Hendon Hooker. And that showed when he went out of the game. I think for Blake Corum, Michigan could not have been what they were leading up to his injury without him. Yep. He's probably getting knocked because Donovan Edwards goes in there and plays extremely well in his stead. But they don't get to that point without Blake Corum. So those are two guys who are snubs that I feel like more than deserve to be in there. And the final icing on the cake for this equation is last year, the Heisman voters said, I don't know if any of these quarterbacks outside of C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett are really like that. So let's send a defensive player to New York. And so they picked Aiden Hutchinson, and I give them a lot of credit for doing that. But Aiden Hutchinson, to me, was riding the hype train. This is not a knock on him and his ability as a player the season that he had because it was phenomenal. But, you know, he was the guy who manifested Michigan's season, manifested their college football playoff berth, manifested their Big Ten championship win, manifested their win over Ohio State. Will Anderson doubled him up in the SEC on TFLs last year. Sack numbers were ridiculous. But Will Anderson didn't have the PR campaign because they knew they had a quarterback who could win the Heisman Trophy and they didn't want to split the vote down south. So Nick Saban said, listen, Will Anderson, you're just going to have to take the L on this one. We're going to get a Heisman Trophy over here to Alabama. So all of these things to say that the voters stink. And part of the reason why I think they stink is because I'm not one. What the 
why the hell do you not have a Heisman vote? And what again? So what do you have to do to get a Heisman vote? It's it's wild to me, and I'm you know I'm gonna sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm just stating the case here. So, um, played four years at Ohio State, won a national title. I played with some phenomenal players. NFL draft pick. NFL career ends. I get right into media, like my my yeah. second year doing media. I get nominated for a national sports Emmy. Yeah. Um, like I, I cover this sport with my whole heart. Absolutely. So I don't know what the hell I got to do to get a vote, but I just I feel like there are a lot of people that possess them right now that either don't watch football, they yes. don't know how to watch football, or they don't work in media anymore, but they still have their vote. I I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that, Joshua. And I hope and pray that, you know, with this new era of college football, we also get a new era of college football uh, voters with AP, with Heisman. So whatever it be, you know, we need people who are in it, who are serious about it, who are actually taking the time and taking it seriously. Because I know, again, there are a lot of people out there that aren't. And again, I, I being an AP voter this year, Joshua, I take it extremely seriously. Uh, serious, you know that I've spent a lot of time, um, you know, making my votes what I feel like count the best. And if I were a Heisman voter, like to me, like that's like gold. Like I'd be treating yeah. that like that was, uh, you know, the biggest thing of the year for me. And I know you would do the same thing. And so I agree with you. I, I just don't get it. I'm. All the points you made are exact points that I would go with on that. And I'm down here in Nashville, in Tennessee, and specifically the Hendon Hooker thing just completely devastated. Stokely. It's disappointing to me. It um, is. And it I is. know he got hurt, but come on, guys. Well, yeah. And I feel like with Blake Quorum and him, I feel like it's recency bias. But 100%. I, I really do. The, and, and I think that's garbage. It is. I, I just... I don't know. It just I feel like being a, a member of the media. Sometimes you you see how people think um, in this industry, and I think a lot of it is about storylines and about narratives rather than yeah. about digging into the facts of mm. the game. Yeah. Um, and some people aren't equipped to do that very well, and I totally understand that. But like, I just some of the the reasons why the rationale that people give for why they're voting a specific way, I think is more driven by, I don't know, just it's driven by the story and not by the game. The, yeah. football, the, the game is the thing in, when it comes to this. It really is. And that's why, again, I just hope with everything else that's changing in college football, I just hope that some of, some of these things change as well. Um, so there can be a little bit more fairness brought into things like the Heisman. It just, I think it's just so old school right now. It's ridiculous. Hey, Kayla, do you want to touch on the, um, the Caleb Williams painting his yes. nails thing? Yes. Um, because yes. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it because I know yes. one of the, the things that some people have taken exception to is the message he had before the PAC 12 championship game for Utah on his, uh, fingernails and it was a four letter word that starts with F and Utah on the other hand. Um, and he got his ass beat and it, it feels like poetic justice in a lot of ways, but 
Um, I know some people feel like that type of behavior is unsportsmanlike and doesn't represent the heart of what the Heisman is. Like we know that, uh, you know, for example, Reggie Bush got his Heisman taken for something that he could do nowadays, but for them, it was about the integrity of the trophy. And Johnny Manziel has been a very interesting character to follow since his time at A&M. And people have talked about his status, his status as a Heisman trophy winner. Um, you know, when Ricky Williams, I believe he was a Heisman trophy winner, right? Yeah. Um, yep. When he was going through his, his thing with the uh, marijuana use, it, I know a lot of people took exception to his status as a Heisman trophy winner. Um, and now Caleb Williams has the opportunity, probably is going to win the trophy. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that type of display and everything now is is visible because of social media as it relates to being somebody who wears the cape of I want a Heisman? Well, first and foremost, my personal opinion on that classless. Um, I also think it, it's all that shows I want the attention and then not thinking about the repercussions where the attention then comes right back at you when you lose that game. And so my personal opinion, just as a player in general, like I hate to see something like that. I just think it's, I just, I think it's ridiculous. There's other ways you can get up for a game. There's other ways you can get your team revved up. I just think that, you know, having that painted on your nails where you know you're going to get all over social media before the game for that. Um, I just, I don't look at it as being a leadership type of quality. And I know he's young. I get that point of it, but he's a Heisman candidate. There's a lot of eyes on him and he knew it. And I just, to me, like, I don't want a player like that. And I don't want to raw, raw them. And so I just think like, for me personally, that would come into play voting for the Heisman, but not, not as much as it it should, right? Because it says that in the the description of the Heisman, but I don't think most people are going to look at that and take that really into account because we've seen all the past Heisman winners have some issues with other things. Um, but me, like as a person who looks at a guy like that, I'm not going to lie. Like it actually like kind of like changed my opinion a little bit about him. Sure. Well, I know he is young and I know he's immature but I was like, come on, man. Like, you know, you are on the national stage right now. You know, all eyes are on you. You know, you're a Heisman candidate. Like, could you not have done that? Like, is there other ways you could have hyped up your team? So I don't think it's going to affect the Heisman votes for him. But then you might as well just take that out of the description. Because yeah. I would have replaced that with Hendon Hooker, who's writing children's books and who has done everything on the grandest of stage to represent his university exactly the right way. Yeah, it's um, what interests me about it is that this is something Caleb Williams has done for a while. Um, he painted his nails when he was at Oklahoma against Texas and he put the uh, Longhorns deal on it, but it was a horns down. Um, so he's, I don't know, like, like, that's cool. I don't care about that. I just think like the vulgarness, I, I know that sounds yeah. stupid and I sound kind of no, pretty totally saying that because I swear, but I don't, I don't do it like in public with people like watching me. Yeah. It's, 
I, I just feel like it's so over the top. Um, like, and, why couldn't they set up just like roll the Utes or like, or like, you know, I don't know. I just think the word, like that word specifically all over yeah. you and all over like Twitter right before the game starts, it was kind yeah. of just like a bad taste in your mouth. When he did it at Texas too, he had F U U T on um, the okay. middle fingers and then the, the index finger and the pinky finger had the horns down on them. Okay. Um, it's, it's, I feel like it, it takes away from the game um, in a certain way. Like I never wanted to disrespect my opponent by doing something like that. If anything, I was going to disrespect them on the field. Like there's a whole 60 minutes to get that thing sorted out. Um, But as it relates to this, for me, I think if I was, if I had a hard decision between two candidates, I would lean toward the one that I felt like represented the trophy the best. Right. So it would be a deciding factor for me. Like if I was torn between two guys, then I would say the guy who didn't do that would get my vote over the other guy. But I wouldn't totally leave him off of my ballot for no. doing it. I think it's it's stupid. I'm with you. It's like, you know, guys cussing on the field and all that kind of stuff. I totally get it. But to, to go out of your way to paint your nails, um, like, bro, play the game. Yeah. And you've already lost to that team once. Right. During the season. And you – this is how I look at it, Joshua – they had a chance to represent not only USC, but they had to represent the Pac-12 as well. Right. And Caleb Williams doing that drew all the attention towards him and put out that message. And then it came back to bite them in the you-know-what. And it was like, okay, and all of that is for what now? Because For then, what? Yeah. Now it's now it's a laughing it's a joke. And and now you kind of let everybody down. I'm not saying he let I'm not saying he's the reason why they lost that game. Right, right. He played through a lot of injury, but it looks stupid. It it casts a um it casts a dark cloud over um a situation that we probably shouldn't even be talking about. I guess like it draws attention to the wrong thing and That's what it is. As an athlete, I was always in the school of thought and always was trained that, like, you don't need to draw any extra attention to something that isn't material to the game that's on the field. Um, So that's my stodgy old man opinion on that. Uh, I take nothing away from the guy as a player, and I'm sure that he is a wonderful person, a great teammate. Seems like his guys play extremely hard for him. So this is not an indictment on Caleb Williams, but I do think it is unique to kind of evaluate that aspect of you had something that I would certainly say is unsportsmanlike. Um, and he is a finalist for a trophy where part of it is you're supposed to represent the game at its highest level. Yep. I think we're definitely on the same page with that. Um, and if we were Heisman voters, I'm exactly on the same page with you on if it came down to being two guys, which honestly it is, it's a really hard decision this year. You know, if you think about it, I know Caleb Williams, when you look at stats, it is, Maybe the the guy that sticks out the most, but I mean, I don't know who actually emerged though. Like That's who really? Saying. Because he said like this is mine. And if nope. it's about recency bias, Joshua, I don't know if that helps. 
none of the guys there ended on a great note except for Stetson, and I don't think that he's in the same class as those no, other guys. he's not. He's there because they wanted Georgia to represent some something in that. The you voters know? in the South. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think one of the, the votes this year uh, or the ceremonies this year that I'm actually going to not flip it before they announce it. No, I'm just joking. I don't usually do that, but you kind of know who's going to win it. Um, this year, maybe there's a little bit of a door open for somebody else uh, besides Caleb Williams. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Okay, finally, really quickly, Joshua, the last two days have been insane. And I feel like Portal Day, which was yesterday when it opens up, is now like bigger than signing day. Uh, there's live coverage on multiple college football recruiting sites, and, and it's just an, it's nuts. And personally, I've kind of been like shocked with it because my Washington State Cougars are kind of at the top right now with nine guys already entering the transfer portal. And I know there's a lot of other schools that have had some big name players enter the transfer portal. One of those guys. Clemson's DJ Uyunglele, which we've mm. talked about endlessly on this podcast. Like, Joshua, can you wrap your mind around what is happening with this portal? No. And, um, you know, the last number that I saw was 1,300 or something like that. My God, yes. Um, it's, it is a wild number. And you're seeing guys jump in for different reasons. Like some guys obviously upset about playing time. Some guys just need a fresh start. Um, and other guys are hopping in there to see about the NIL sweepstakes at other places. Like we're seeing starting players jumping in the portal because they want to see if they can maximize their name, image, and likeness. I don't have an issue with it necessarily, but I think that for some of the, the other players in there, they are going to poorly position themselves to come out of the portal. Um, that's a problem because you basically put a middle finger up to a free education. And I'm not saying that anybody needs to be miserable anywhere. And I'm not saying that they should not be allowed to do this. Like you're right. grown, you can make your own decision. But I just wish that some of these these kids would make better decisions. The second thing that not enough people are talking about is even when a kid comes out of the portal, some of these kids are going to be so far behind academically that they are never going to graduate. Yeah. They're never going to graduate. All the transfers don't, you know, the, the uh, credits don't transfer over, might not have the same major. It's a whole rigmarole. And I don't know if people are being educated enough on that aspect yeah. of transferring. So the whole thing is wild. And I firmly believe that the NCAA has created a chaos environment because of their lack of willingness to take control of college football specifically and to put guardrails around some of these issues that are now going to trickle down. It doesn't hurt the athletic departments. It doesn't hurt the coaches. It hurts the kids. And that's the worst part about it. I know. And I think that's how I'm looking at it now. Because every year now, in the last three years, um, the transfer portal has been 
how it is, more and more players are jumping into it and less and less players are coming out of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's my biggest worry is you were hit it. You put the nail, hit the nail on the head, Joshua, the, the education about making the really right decision. It's not there right now. And unfortunately it's such a fad like that everyone's like, Oh, I'm jumping in. Oh, the portal's open. I'm jumping in. Oh, there's a better place to go. Oh, I'm jumping in. And I feel like when it's all said and done, a cautionary tale is the grass is not always greener on the other side. For some it is, but not for everyone. And I just feel like we're hitting this point now where it's more of a fad move than it is an actual factual move. That is... um... That's the hardest part about it. And like, you know, it's one of those things where you can't say that you don't think it should be allowed to happen. Well, no. Because then you're anti-player. Right. I also do think that there's this idea that the education of the outcomes needs to be more clearly articulated. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that you should have... Like you say, you want to get in the portal. Mm -hmm. There should be a seven-day waiting period, and you should have to physically show up to compliance classes that bear out the statistics about it. Then you should have to meet with an academic counselor that goes through the options of if you transfer to this school, this is what happens to you academically. If you transfer here, this is what happens to you academically. And give these kids as much information as they can possibly receive Yes. So they can understand the impact of their decision. And we talked about this before, like when are they going to get things in place for this type of situation in the future? Clearly it's not happening yet, but I feel like it's going to have to happen eventually. And you and I are both on the same page with, yeah, players definitely have the ability to do this. I am not arguing that fact, but this is kind of a little out of control. And I just feel like it's it's decisions being made without really doing the backup, you know, the work, um, you know, the backup plans. Like, what if it doesn't work out? I just I, I, that makes me worry about m- more of these players, you know, making this move without really digging into to the deep facts of what they're doing. So and then I wanted to ask you about this, too. Because I, I just thought about it. Like, you remember when players, it, it was said that they can opt out of bowl games. Well, now I'm like in my head thinking, now what happens when these teams are going to bowl games and they know half their team's transferring? Like, Washington oh, is going to this bowl game. Yeah. And their top wide receivers are transferring out. Like, I just feel like that causes like, animosity too within a team before they even finish the season it's a wild situation i mean like i think i think we're gonna get to a spot where there's a 12 team playoff and the you know the the ninth the 10th the 11th team that might not be the group of five team like you don't see if they got a first round player top five pick dude's gonna transfer out like i yeah like i'm not trying to and make that happen. But it's just a reality to me that even in an expanded playoff where it's supposed to be more competitive, yeah. like is 
winning, trying to make a run in the playoff that you're probably not likely to make worth risking $30 million if you're a top five pick. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that. So I just think it's just nuts. I mean, it gives us great content. I won't mm-hmm. lie about that, but it is it is kind of tough. And it's tough for the fans too. I've had a lot of fans reach out to me and say, man, that was my favorite player. And now he's out. Now he's gone. He's no longer at this school or that school, right? And yeah. it's like, I feel like it's like college basketball where it's one and done. I mean, a lot of college football is going to kind of kind of go in that direction in a way because a lot of these players are, are going to kind of just play a season and then hop out, you know? And I'm not saying that's that's the wrong thing to do, but now fans are really going to start to see that in college football as well. What a shame. Yeah. So interesting stuff that will only get more interesting, I am sure. But we appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode. I feel like it was a jam-packed episode full of some really good information. So uh, if you don't subscribe, make sure to subscribe to Press Pass Podcast. We always have really good things. Great insight from Joshua, as always. Where can they go to follow you, my friend? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore J-E-P. Wonderful. Uh, I'm at Kayla Anderson TV and uh, we appreciate you guys have a great weekend as you gear up for hopefully most of your teams in bowl games and some of your teams, Joshua in the college football playoff. Take care guys.